I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions red which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to Eleven. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Today's special guest, Josh Mitchell. Josh, you are the technical guru behind These Go to Eleven. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Josh, uh, we like to do this with everyone who uh, joins us on the podcast. Just give us a little bit about yourself, friends, family, all the good stuff, what you do. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, part-time here at Christ Fellowship Church, also as the worship director, so I help to bring together the musicians and the tech guys behind the scenes, which led me to helping Greg and Nathan here uh, for the, the podcast, and I love doing that. I just got married. I'm 22 years old. Yes! My wife's name is Hope, and um, so far, so good. <laughs> yes. So, how, how long, Josh? A month? I think it's been a month. About a month into it. Yeah, and, January um, 9. Remember, uh, Nathan, we talked, they went to Hawaii, poor things. Yeah. Uh, had a tough time, rough go of it. 82 degrees every day, right, yeah. Josh? It was flawless. Wow. And yeah. came back to a snowstorm, right? <laughs> I came in my flip-flops in uh, three inches of snow in the front yard. So wow. That was uh, a rude awakening. That was three of the first 30 <laughs> yeah. that were going to continue to fall <laughs> over the next 24, 36 yep. hours. Yep. Yeah. Dude, I, I got to say, that intro, wow. Chilling, was- isn't it? That was crazy. That was that, really good. That intro, uh, Josh and I have been talking about how to do an intro to Breaking Bad, since Josh has written our intro, which some have said sounds eerily similar to Breaking Bad. Yeah. I don't even know where that comes from. Right. But yeah. But Josh, not so much that there would be any copyright infringement. No. So if you listen closely to our normal intro, yeah. you might catch a few echoes and undertones of that. But that is a poem. Written, I think we said, Josh, 1818 by Percy Shelley called Ozymandias, which uh, most scholars believe is a a name in reference to one of the pharaohs in Egypt. Ramses, I want to say the second, I think. Mm -hmm. Historians can check me out on that. But that is read by Brian Cranston, who, of course, is the star who plays Walter White in uh, what we're going to talk about today, whether or not it was the greatest TV show ever made. That's right. Breaking all Breaking Bad, bad all Go. day. Ooh, yes. Um, and um, I'm going to let Greg and Josh here actually uh, just kind of riff on Breaking Bad. But I do have some questions for you guys. Oh, um, Nathan. So first I just want to point in, put it out there to all our listeners. This is going to be full of spoilers. So oh, yeah. if you have not seen Breaking Bad and you are trying to get into it, want to get into it, looking forward to it, uh, now would probably be a good time to uh, – Abort mission. That's right. Um, And come back and join us once you've seen it. I'm going to lay all my cards out on the table. 
I have not seen it. Mm. Um, I went to get into it, so this is going to be my first question. Guys, this is a popular show. Greg, you just said the best TV show out there. Is it the best TV show out there? I think Josh shares that sentiment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've never seen it. Tried to get into it. Watched the first three or four episodes. Mm. And I've talked to more than one person who has said this. Once you get into the second season, it really picks up. Uh I think you guys said there were about seven episodes in season one. Why? (laughs) Why would I spend seven hours to get into something like this? Especially since when we go and see a movie, nobody will give a movie this much credit when you're like, well, you know, the first two hours were crap, (laughs) but the last half hour was fantastic. The movie would tank. But when you say, yeah, the first season, that was hard to get into. But after that, it was great. So, guys, convince me why I should get through the first seven episodes, seven hours to get into the really good meat of Breaking Bad. Well, I want to back up and just say when I watched the first episode, mm-hmm. um, I actually watched it because Greg mentioned it in a sermon. Yes. <laughs> he was mentioning uh, binge-watching Breaking Bad and yeah. I – I'm not a big TV watcher. didn't used mm-hmm. to watch any series. I didn't watch uh, – I'm not even a big movie guy. Um, I write a lot of music. I do stuff uh, without any TV on. Mm-hmm. So when Greg mentioned Breaking Bad and binge-watching Breaking Bad, I said this must be a show worthwhile. Yes, yeah, see that? <laughs> some, some preachers, their congregants are inspired to memorize passages of Scripture, go on the mission field. Josh to binge watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> and by the way, I have no shame in that whatsoever. I know you, yeah. So anyway, I uh, 2013, fall of 2013, mm-hmm. Breaking Bad ends its yep. final season. And I say, okay, I will watch it because I know I can watch the entire thing yeah. without mm-hmm. having to wait. Because that's my biggest pet peeve is having to wait in between episodes for the Stakes. next one to come out. I yep. hate that. Same here. So I watched episode one and I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is I, I talk to some people who don't love Breaking Bad. They don't think it's as good as other shows. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm not a big TV watcher, so when I watched that, something about the storytelling, something about the cinematography and the music and the way it all came together, it grabbed me from episode one. Mm. So I know that's not the right answer you're looking for, (laughs) but a lot of the reasons that I am obsessive about Breaking Bad, I can find them in the first episode. Oh, okay. Um, I can find them in those first three episodes. So that's to say you might find what you're looking for and I think you will it does pick up in season two but a lot of the gold that I think has allowed it to become a uh, critically acclaimed show you can find those in the first three episodes Hmm. but you might have to look for them again and I've watched it now probably six times all the way through so agreed it's it's an interesting pilot Nathan because the pilot I'm with Josh does have the seeds of the show in it but because the show is so it's it's narrative. It's I mean, its story arc is just cosmic, really. It, yeah. It's so big and so sweeping and so well done. How do you how do you hook an audience when one of the key premises of the show is to gradually show the evolution or de-evolution of its main character, mm-hmm. which happens gradually. It's not like in episode two he becomes what he is in the final episode. Um, so I think they had a real tightrope to, to walk. So my sense is, um, that's probably accounting for some of the slowness. Um, and if you look at the, um, oh, the, uh, honest trailer on Breaking mm. Bad, it captures that. I mean, I won't give all that away. I can't do that guy's cool voice, but he says something like, you know, um, now granted, you're going to have to sit through some of this. <laughs> and it's like a 32 second scene <laughs> of them not yeah. talking 
clinking silverware at the breakfast table. Yep. They they eat a lot of meals in yep. Breaking Bad, particularly yep. the first season. No conversation, and he goes. But by the time you get to this, and it's Walter, he's saying something like, I am the one who knocks. The guy's like, it's totally worth it. So I would say, Nathan, if you stick with it, you will go back and have an appreciation for episode one in a way that you you just can't mm-hmm. when you start it fresh. I mean, you think that's right, Josh? It's almost yeah. the end informs the beginning. Yeah, and I think the, the pacing of the show is intentional. Every single beat, as they call it in the, in the writer's room, has been thought through uh, by the the amazing team of writers, and has uh, it has this rhythm to it that's intentional, and that's that's part of why I think Breaking Bad has this cult like following because the pacing is right; it's slow on purpose, and it climaxes, it crescendos perfectly to these particular seasons with the villains and with Walt and Jesse going through these different trials yep. and, and crazy things. Um, but it is worth it. When you get to season two, you're introduced to new villains. The stakes are higher. Things keep growing and growing. And um, there's there's no way to describe it except you just have to watch it. It's a slow burner, but you need to watch the entire burn. Agreed. Um, it's not one that you can just put on and you can do laundry, yep. I don't think. Breaking yep. Bad requires... For me, attention. I have to watch oh, every yeah. second of it. Yeah, because every single color, every single shadow, every single musical cue has been thought through. Oh, uh, Vince Gilligan. We'll we're getting ahead. We'll talk about him. Um, so before we get in deeper, because I do have another question for you guys. I understand, Greg. We have a call. We did, we did, and uh, Josh, I'm sorry. I we have been over backwards to keep the information on the show just totally sealed, airtight. Somehow, Dave Shive again, we think it's you, is getting access to our writer's room meetings, getting this material information and passing it on to a detractor. Dude, we got another call. Came in right before we went live today on the Reverend James King. Yeah. So it uh, sounds like he's fighting a cold, too. So let's hear what, uh, what he's got to say to you, Josh. Oh, and us that are taking on this subject. And uh, let me hit the answer machine, and here we go. Now, I'm sure by now everyone knows this is the Reverend James King from the James King, King James a Bible-believing, teaching, preaching ministries. Let me get right to it, friends. Oh, my heart is boiling tonight. Whoa. Just when I think the apostates on this these go to 11 anti-God cast could not go any is further talking about you or me? of their <laughs> besetting sins and iniquities. Both. My inside information tells me they're about to celebrate one of the devil's greatest accomplishments in human history. That's right, friends. I'm talking about this piece of filth. It's been vomited right out of Satan's belly and onto the high-definition flash screens of American homes. Breaking bad. <laughs> Let me tell you about this satanic slop. As far as I'm concerned, it should be called Breaking Wind. <laughs> That's right. The stench that comes out of that TV show is the same stink that rises from the devil's very latrine on the lowest level of the pit of hell. Oh, that's right. See, friends, Walter White, see, he's nothing more than a, a, a liberal Democrat bent on getting everyone in this once godly nation addicted to big government through his little blue crystal pills, the same way a, a Hillary Rotten Clinton wants to get everyone addicted to her big brother sugar daddy federal government. Oh, friends, don't be deceived that this Breaking Bad is anything other than Lucifer's literature. <laughs> now, I'm told tonight they have a special guest, some some fancy highfalutin English major named Josh Mitchell. Oh, how nice. <laughs> 
think about it, friends. A, a man who's been given a degree for just reading books written by drunken, fornicating, pinko, commie, <laughs> wife-swapping, tree-hugging, <laughs> Satan-worshipping imbeciles who call themselves respectable authors. Oh, don't let this young man fool you with all his fancy terms like context <laughs> or uh, <laughs> symbolism. Or uh, redemptive themes. Friends, these are just fancy words the devil uses to distract us from what it really is. Cock-a-poo-poo. <laughs> That's right. Folks, you know every single person who has watched this vile Breaking Bad show without exception. And I can verify this, friends. Every single one who has ever watched this show has become either a Satanist or a drug dealer. <laughs> friends, I've been told in some extreme cases, some of them have even become Democrats. <laughs> That's right. I'm sad to say, even at a King James Tabernacle nursing home we've been running for 40 years, one of our oldest residents, Edna Perkins, got tangled up in this mess. That's right. Apparently, she, she ordered some blue rock candy on the internet that she found that looks just like the devil drugs peddled on that vile show. She thought it would be funny to hand some out to her fellow residents who watched it with her every week in the common room. Oh, friends, though. Moment, me and the deacons at the tabernacle heard about this. We did the only thing godly Bible-believing pastors could do. That's right. We forcibly pumped the stomachs of every patient in that nursing home. <laughs> oh, friends, they cried and bellowed all night long. But little did they know that the sounds of their miserable wailings and cacklings were pleasing to the heavens. That's right, because they were the sounds of demons being exercised right out of their bellies and sent back to the belly of hell. Man. In fact, the very next day, I personally supervised the installation of a new television in the common room, friends. That's right, a television that was wired to show only godly programming, movies starring Kirk Cameron or Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> now, you can warn, friends. Do not listen to this vile anti-God cast. Instead, I would encourage you to listen to my new sermon series at the Tabernacle. That's right, it's called Breaking Bad Habits. <laughs> After this week, I'll kick off the series with the first bad habit, which, of course, is listening to this godless podcast. <laughs> then in the coming weeks, I'll cover some of the most common sins committed by Christians today. Uh, reading non-authorized versions, perversions of the Bible. <laughs> uh, getting news from any channel other than Fox. And, of course, the most vile of all, family vacations at beaches. More on all this later, friends. And now, consider yourselves warned, wow. and do not listen to one more word of this godless anti-godcast. Wow. Wow, man. I, Josh, I don't know what to say. I'm kind of embarrassed that you you got rung up like that, man, on your first uh, time on here. I mean, he, does he know you're an English major? I don't know. He hasn't come after me yet directly, but yeah. I mean, he, he, he calls us both apostates. I know. Man, so we can't be fans, but... He uh, he's he's uh, he found out a lot about you, Josh, wow. in, in short time. So, uh, not everybody's going to feel the same way we do about the show. No. Reverend James King apparently has a different take. Yeah, what was it? Vomited out of Satan's belly. I yeah. think was how he said it. So, the smell of Satan's latrine. Yes, yes, <laughs> rising up out of hell. So he yeah. has a slightly different take than than you and I would. Wow, <laughs> intense. Man. That that's that's crazy. Man. I don't know that that might be that might be his worst call yet. I know he was especially agitated yeah. tonight. You could tell he, he just seemed angry or yeah. something. If not, it was up there with uh, you know Matt Smith's receding hairline. That's true. That's true. But something about Josh made him even angry. I know. But, but we'll have to see when we get into the contents of this. That's maybe, right. Yeah. Maybe we'll understand why. Um, so I want to give you guys time to uh, riff on this because I know you've been looking forward to it. But um, one more question for you guys. 
Um, you have a show like Breaking Bad. You have uh, shows like um, uh, the Netflix original House of Cards. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Orange is the New Black, uh, Game of Thrones, different shows like this. And people have varying degrees in which they're willing to rate and and put these in different contexts. Like, for instance, I know people who are like, yeah, I'll watch Breaking Bad. I'll watch House of Cards, sure. but I won't watch Orange is the New Black. Right, right. Um, I'll watch Orange is the New Black, but I won't watch Game of Thrones. Right. How do we put this all in context of where, when it's permissible to watch something sure. and when it's not? Great, great question, Nathan. I mean, this this gets us um, into what we talked about in the previous podcast with Jeff Kratz, uh when uh, we talked about liberty, legalism, and license. Uh, so we can refer listeners back to that podcast. But uh, in in short, I am ever increasingly persuaded that what I'm asked to do, not asked, commanded, uh, compelled to do as a Christian is to guard my heart, which is different than identifying certain shows, movies, books, and saying, okay, this is the good list and this is the bad list. This is holy, this is unholy. I'm to guard my heart. That may look different for each person. Uh, I mean, Reverend King obviously uh, is is against Christians going to beaches. Uh, I would just say this, in all seriousness, that there there might be some people, depending on their past mm-hmm. and what they've struggled with, that maybe shouldn't. They'll know because in their battle to guard their hearts, what is going to trip them up, mm-hmm. uh, what things are going to trigger temptations, memories, etc. And other people might have different experiences and say, "Hey, I am able to do that and not." Uh, let my heart go down a path that it shouldn't go down. Mm-hmm. So I think part of it, uh, Nathan, is um, is always a subjective question mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what trips me up. I will say I can't justify anything I'm watching if I am truly finding my heart is chasing after sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Say I'm watching Breaking Bad and I thought, man, I'd really like to make crystal meth and make a lot of money doing it. Like if that honestly was what my heart was drawn to, I would say – Probably something I should not be watching, not because it's on a list, but because in my own personal battle to guard my heart, my heart is being pummeled. Mm-hmm. So I think that question is always a personal question for the Christian before the Lord. Um, so I do have my list, too. I'll just say I, I don't watch Orange is the New Black mm-hmm. um, because the little bit I know about the show um, it just uh, – well, I wouldn't even say my heart would be taken away. Um some of it, I think, would make me feel kind of ill based on some of the things I've read and uh, looked at. But I'm very careful not to project that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to project that. I think that's each person's business before the Lord, ultimately. So mm-hmm. I, I think people will have a different list. If the list is generated by um, what things are best going to um, uh, you know, stimulate my thinking, uh, appreciating. Josh and I are going to talk about creativity, craftsmanship, excellence. That's why I love Breaking Bad. Uh, I take it in like a Shakespeare play that, that's brilliantly written, uh, directed, acted from beginning to end. Um, I'm not finding myself at war with my own heart. That's, that's my thought on it. Josh, you're a little bit younger than I am. Josh, what are you, 22? Yeah. So give us the 23-year younger version of what I said. Yeah, I mean I have friends who are younger than me who have said they can't watch Breaking Bad or House of Cards uh-huh. because it's too dark. Okay. And 
it's hard for me to even see that because when I watch Breaking Bad, I don't see the darkness first. Right. I see the excellence first. I see the attention to detail first. I see the masterful writing and storytelling first. Right. And then I start to see, oh, yeah, this story's about a you know, meth cook you know, selling drugs yes. and killing people. Yeah. And, but for me, I know that it's fake. I know that I'm not watching an actual it's, – it's fabricated. Mm-hmm. So does that mean I shouldn't watch it because they're acting? Um, for me, I'm watching it for the storytelling. I'm watching it because it's well done. Right. Um, but then I've had people who've also said, and but some people have said, yeah, sure, you can watch excellent Breaking Bad, but what about excellent porn? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I've had people ask that uh, to me. Like said, well, Dutcher, by your argument, couldn't you say, well, you know, the, the camera angles and the lighting and all that sort of thing. Again, my answer, I, I try to stay on point, feel like I'm in the primary, stay on point. Um, <laughs> you know, don't don't have a South Carolina GOP debate. Uh, stay focused, and I would simply say... Um, I, I believe that men, and I, I will universalize this a little bit, um, I don't think can watch what we would consider porn, people literally having sex live in front of a camera and you know uh, just technicolor glory put out there for people to, to, uh, to watch. Um, I would say that doesn't trip you up, that doesn't uh, tempt you, that doesn't uh, prompt you to want to indulge your flesh. I find that hard to believe because I think porn is a very blatant thing. So I would say, uh, again, if you keep the issue of guarding your heart, I think you have to factor guarding my heart with an appreciation for these things we're talking about, create creative excellence, et cetera. That, that's my thought on it. Yeah. Maybe? Right. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Again, for me, it's hard to weigh in on this because I haven't seen it. Right. Um, I saw, I, like I said, the first three, four episodes, I think. Um, and just, I couldn't get into it. Sure. Um, I may, I may try to go back at some point. I will say I watched my fair share of dark movies, Greg, you and I talk all the time movies. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that I do geek out on movies, sure. TV shows. Um, I enjoy the blacklist. Yeah. Talk about dark. Sure. Um, but to me, that had me at square one. Right. Um, and, and to me, that was part of the issue is that when I went in and saw the first episode, I was like, okay, this was good. Uh-huh. Saw the second one. All right, this is decent. Third one, yeah, okay. And and I had intended to go back and watch – again, I can't remember if it was the fourth or fifth um, – watch the next one and then I got distracted and never went back to it. Sure. To me, it's hard to say, oh, this, this thing is great when – I I can stop watching it for some length of time and not have the desire to go back to it. Right, right. So, and again, that's that's coming from my opinion yeah. of it. You know what's so wild, Josh? I'm I'm framing out the seasons in my mind as Nathan shares that has not gotten to Tuco, hmm. who is introduced in season one, but really becomes right. dominant to the two brothers, hmm. the cousins of Tuco that are chilling characters coming after Hank and Gus Fring. Right. Let alone Saul hasn't been introduced. Saul, yet. Mike hasn't been introduced. Mike, um, Todd, oh my goodness. Lydia. Yeah, I'm saying Nathan. The characters that await you, <laughs> kapow! I mean, <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. And to me, what's so incredible about the show is how I think the now as I look at it as a whole, the restraint that Vince Gilligan shows because he has some idea, of course, of Walt. Walter White's journey mm-hmm. and what he is going to become. He's sowing the seeds of it at the beginning. Uh, and I think, as you've pointed out, Josh, not every single 
subplot is worked out from day one. But there's a sense in which where he wants to go. So he's got an incredible bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. He has incredible weapons in his arsenal mm-hmm. that aren't even unleashed in the first season. Right. Let me, let me just throw this out there to you guys. And I, and I really – I do. I want to give you guys yeah. time to riff on this because I know you've been waiting for this. Um, I got into Smallville. And for those of you who have yeah. ever seen Smallville, it is not by any means a masterful piece of acting or writing. It is uh, a teenage soap opera for all intents and purposes. However, the um, the development of Lex Luthor yeah. – in Smallville, he's best friends with Clark Kent starting out. And he develops into this villain. That is a very slow – I mean it takes four seasons – for Lex Luthor to become who we know as wow. Lex Luthor. Wow. Basically, in the fifth season is where he finally snaps. Yeah. I can dig slow. Yeah. I can dig that transition. Yeah. To me, almost the issue that I found is within season one, you have Walter cooking meth. Uh-huh. To, to me, I don't see that slow transition, that struggle with the morality. It's uh, – and again, spoiler alert. So if you don't want to hear it, turn it off. He's diagnosed with cancer. He uh-huh. needs money. I'm going to cook meth to get money. Yep. And and I don't see mm. the struggle. I don't see the actual tension that he faces with mm-hmm. what is this going to do to me? What is this going to do to my family? Your response is on that. Well, I think part of it is you're right. He does cook meth in episode one, which again, this is a guess. I almost wonder if Vince Gilligan in this perfect world – would have introduced that four or five episodes into it, but he's got a pilot, mm-hmm. and the pilot has to hook an audience enough. Right. So he, he's constrained by marketing to some extent, although artists hate marketing, of course, but you, you need it because you're trying to sell a product, to get Walt cooking meth, um, or at least that process underway. So I would say, yes, that does start. The, um, the change in his person mm-hmm. from the uh, nervous... Um, uh, hesitating, at times vacillating, nerdy high school underachieving science teacher to what he is by the end, mm-hmm. which is the equivalent of Ozymandias that Cranston read so effectively at the beginning of our episode is phenomenal. So I would say it's not just that he goes from teaching to cooking meth. What he becomes as this goes on is incredible. Mm. Um, and the bridges that are burned relationally, vocationally in his life um, just are increasingly jaw-dropping to me. That's how I experienced it. Like uh, I remember by fourth – maybe the third or fourth season, my – I unlike Josh, did wa- – I watched the first two or three seasons at a clip. Mm-hmm. And then said, "Oh, I wish I had waited till the whole thing was done." Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I feel with House of Cards right now. Sometimes I yeah. wish I just was told about House of Cards when it's finally done. Yeah. Watch them all. Um, so I'm I'm waiting in the agonizing moments between seasons, between week. And I remember my father at a Labor Day cookout said one time, "Gosh, is there anybody Walter White won't destroy, uh, including his own family, uh, because it be, he becomes chillingly more savage." What you see in the first season, I wouldn't say he's savage. Mm-hmm. He's he's cooking meth out of necessity to um, save his family. And you, you kind of understand his somewhat, although twisted, still noble aspirations. Mm-hmm. I'm dying. I've got cancer. Um, that, that, that's my take on it. So again, Nathan, I'm hoping that this episode 
get you watching Breaking Bad because people, Nathan's <laughs> egalitarian women in leadership leadings don't bother me anywhere near as much that he hasn't watched Breaking Bad. That's the main issue here. So anyway, you want to chime in, Josh? Josh, yeah. yeah I mean, my I'm not familiar with Lex Luthor, so full disclaimer, I'm not. I don't understand the progression that you describe, but here's the thing: in even in the first episode, because I'm remembering the pilot because I've watched it. Probably I watched the pilot more than the entire series because wow, I kept cool. watching it over and over again. And they said that the pilot would have won Independent Movie of the Year because wow. it was the perfect, you know, sixty. I think it was a little bit longer. It was like fifty or sixty uh, minutes. Yeah, long, I think it was. Yeah, um, little movie there, but it's in all the details. It's in all the shots of the photos of the awards and the frames in his house that's speaking to us about who Walter White is and who he has been, and that the stakes are higher. And with every shot of the bland house and the bland neighborhood and the kind of car he drives and the color of his shirt at school and the color of his shirt at home yeah that's all part of the show that draws me in and when i'm sitting there listening to not a lot of dialogue and i'm watching all these visuals i'm learning about this character i'm learning about this breaking bad world that is so intricate and it's so ordinary as well and that's why i love it so much is because they get all the sounds right all the sounds of traffic that yep. you might expect, or it, and when they're in the school, you hear the kids in the hall. It's really great sound design as well as the colors and the wardrobe and the character and the plot. And for me, that's why Breaking Bad ranks so high on the list is because I see all those details come together in this story. But it does. When you do get to season five and you end, I think you will – notice a similar progression of character like Lex Luthor because he does become a monster. He does. Mm. Walter White does transform into someone that you cannot even recognize in season one. Yeah. But you need all of season one to get to know him. And it's a huge investment, but it's also, I think, a worthwhile investment because we learn so much about human nature, about human depravity in watching these characters and just how we interact with one another. And I remember in uh, the first episode, Hank is Uh there and he's kind of joking around with Walt of, you know, Hey, maybe you should live a little and come out on a, uh, a break in with me one time when he has to break the, uh, what's it called? Walk along or ride along. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Um, and Walt just kind of stands there. He's stiff. He's uncomfortable. He's Uh not, you know, has no interest in it. He's very reserved. Um, but you see Hank who has this larger than life, you know, attitude of, hey, yeah. come along, I'm, I'm this big shot. But you even see Hank over the course of the show, his character develop and change and almost become smaller as Walt becomes bigger. I agree. And I you agree. can't see that in three episodes. You have to see it in three seasons or yeah. four seasons. So that's my, yeah. that's my answer is it's there. You just haven't seen it yet. Everything yeah. I think you're looking for, it's all there. Yeah. Um, but it's a big time commitment. Yeah, there are scenes, Nathan, by by the fifth and final season where he is almost – I mean he could almost fit in a DC uh, movie landscape in, in terms of his, his awesome uh, foreboding presence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are scenes that, that bring that out very um, uh, dramatically, almost melodramatically. Um, and last night, just uh, knowing we were going to have this bonus episode today, I was looking at one of the montages on YouTube, you know, that kind of show you a glimpse of all five seasons and you just are, are almost shocked. Oh my word. I forgot. He used to be like that. Mm-hmm. And when they're juxtaposed so quickly, you, you, yeah. it almost seems like two different people, two different actors. Yep. And obviously, uh, you know, most of Breaking Bad, well, I think of him as the bald yeah. shaved head 
Heisenberg and to see him at the beginning with his full head of hair um, and his nice little tweed sweaters and, right. and jackets that he's wearing is very, very uh, different. But it is relatable. When, when you talk, Josh, about the relatability, um, you're right. Even the sounds in the house at breakfast, you are watching, wow, this is a lot like life. Um, yeah. In almost at times, and, and this is what Gilligan pushed, a painstakingly realistic pace. Um, but to me, the reward is is so great. So I, what I can't wait, Nathan, is for the follow-up podcast at some point where you have come back. Like Mark Sweeney, our uh, executive pastor, mm-hmm. his office is right down the hall from where we podcast, who I pushed and nudged, did it, loved it, yeah. and then watched it again about a month later. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, we're we're burning brightly here at, at CFC. All right, guys. It's all you. You want us to just jump in, man, and jump take in. it away? A yeah. couple of things, Josh, that I um, I know you and I have talked about. Um, let me start with a, a short anecdote. In a Bible study uh, a year or two ago, uh, yeah, because I think Breaking Bad was still on, uh, there was a man at that Bible study who I don't think at that point was a believer, uh, but was coming, was interested in what we were talking about, the guys. Uh, Al Myers, who gets referenced a lot on this podcast, uh, <laughs> Al, we love you, uh, was a big fan of the show. So we're talking about it. This other guy's talking about it. couple of the gentlemen in this Bible study, who I love, and I, I'm not just saying that like to say the nice thing than the mean thing, <laughs> started saying, wait a minute, that show you're talking about, is, isn't that about a drug dealer? Mm-hmm. Isn't that about... Um, yeah, it is. And, yeah, and they <laughs> they started showing some of that uh, visceral, that's bad. You can't watch a show like that if you're a Christian. Right. And, you know, it, it got a little bit more intense than I would have liked it to because some of the guys I could tell felt very strongly about it. One of the guys said, oh, would you let your children watch this? Oh, of course not. You know, and um, uh, they sort of thought that was a an ace up their sleeve. Aha! And I said, well, I don't let my children drive. I don't let my children have sex. I don't let my children drink alcohol. But I do all those things. Uh, and, um, you know, it's one of those things where uh, I would say there's a lot of things we don't let our children do mm-hmm. because they're not mature enough and they're not ready for it. And I, I really believe that. So um, got me thinking, what is it? Why is it nobody bats an eye if a young 18-year-old stands up in uh, a Sunday service in, in uh, June in their church and is handed a Bible, as a lot of churches do, for all the all the graduates, high school and college mm-hmm. graduates. And somebody says, hey, where's your where's your son going to college? Oh, he's going to University of Maryland. What's he going to major in? English. Josh and I, two English majors uh, today. Nobody bats an eye when they're going to study Shakespeare, D.H. Lawrence, and be exposed to all manner of lewd, yeah. body references. Yep. Somehow in older literature, that's that's okay. Um, and I truly believe, and this is something Josh and I were talking about Sunday in between our services at church, <laughs> prepping for this. I, I, this is how I feel, Josh. I honestly do, and I don't care if anybody laughs at this. I put Breaking Bad up there as a 21st century Shakespeare caliber <laughs> tragic tale. Yeah, that is brilliantly crafted. I think Shakespeare was brilliant. Um, Macbeth is my favorite play. Uh, and I've I've watched several movie versions of it. Michael Fassbender, I haven't watched that one yet. Just yeah. came out where he plays Macbeth, yeah. and I, I've I've read some good things about that. Um, to me, it's it's epic, tragic downfall, hero, antihero, Shakespeare stuff. 
Um, I'm not going to give specific examples, but anybody uh, that looks up uh, Othello, uh, just type in something on Google one time, Othello lewd references. See what comes up. Um, I mean, you've got a play, he writes a a minor play uh, called Titus Andronicus, where in the end, the two sons um, kill their mother, cut her up, put her in a pie, and feed to one of the other relatives Mm -hmm. in Shakespeare. So... Should we or should this vein of law – you shouldn't watch that. Nobody should be an English major, history major. Come across these works of literature that have all these things. And can I take it a step further? The Bible <laughs> has got some pretty tough and graphic stuff in it. Right. Nobody obviously is going to say that's wrong. And very quickly, no, Vince Gilligan is not an inspired writer of sacred scripture. <laughs> um, I am well aware of that. I'm saying the material – that he deals with the raw material, uh, the raw material, his medium um, is adult, is gripping, at times disturbing, like we see in other sources. Something I wanted to get off yeah. my chest. Now, yeah. let her rip, John. Well, I had a English professor at Towson who mm-hmm. it was going around the room his first day of class and asking everybody what they read. Over the break, because of course English majors, what do they do in their free time? They read books. Oh, that's all they do. So you, know, right. you go to each nerd around <laughs> the room. What book did you read? Yeah. What book did you read? Yeah. And um, I actually did give a book mm-hmm. that I read. Sure, uh, but a friend there, guy that I actually went to elementary school with, said, "Oh, I, I didn't uh, actually get around to reading this break." Yeah. And the professor looked at him and was like, "Well, what did you do?" Yeah. He said, "I watched a lot of TV." And he said, "Well, what?" show did you watch Um, and then he tried to like help him along he said you know TV today has gotten more narrative and it's gotten more uh, serial in its nature and um, you know that's okay that you watch TV what did you watch and uh, he said I watched Breaking Bad Yeah. and the professor said me too (laughs) (laughs) and he said feel free to write about Breaking Bad in this class the characters have so much depth they have so much relatability that that's an excellent example of how to relate the things that we're reading in these uh, kind of older texts to characters that are today in our culture. Yeah. Um, and his point was that's what we want to do in literature is relate new literature to old literature and how characters are like one another. Um, but I even think Breaking Bad is good for that in real life. You can relate how people are in Breaking Bad oh, to sure. how people are in real life. You, you see the character of Mike and Tremont. Yeah. And uh, played by Jonathan Banks, and he's old. He's kind of this older police officer, kind of retired guy. And you immediately have a sense of what kind of person he is yes, and what kind of people might be like him. And uh, I was listening to a This American Life episode where they referenced this guy was kind of like Mike from Breaking Bad. Right. And immediately I got the reference. I was like, okay, so he's old. You know, He's probably bald or kind of gruff, and he's kind of has some uh, years on him. But he's kind of got that old cop feel. So I, I know who he is because yeah. I know who Jonathan Banks' uh, Mike is from yep. Breaking Bad. So I think that's what's amazing about watching this show is that it does help you relate to a lot of things. It oh, helps my you goodness. relate to other people and other characters. And you know, when we're fortunate to have a show like Breaking Bad that so many people watch, it almost it's a benefit to be able to re- reference it and talk about particular scenes and to be on the inside of the joke oh sure um and i think that you know it's even it has earned its right in the literature circles because of its depth of character yeah because of its excellent writing i would agree i i I think exactly josh i think it's writing is so good and the characters when you start naming them each one is unique there are no 
throwaway characters no. in in Breaking Bad. I mean, even the lowest level characters, Badger, uh, <laughs> you know, who's in and out, is just an incredible. Yeah, Brandon character. Mayhew. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, just his voice alone is so good. Obviously, Saul. And one of the reasons, Nathan, I, I probably should have said at the beginning we wanted to do this is the spinoff mm-hmm. uh, and why we're talking about Breaking Bad of uh, at this time of the year is because the spinoff of Better Call Saul aired, uh, from our perspective, recording this just last night, February mm-hmm. the 15th, uh, season two, which um, his character alone is so good and so compelling. And uh, what you're seeing is apparently Vince Gilligan and is it Peter Gould yep. thought that this character uh, is so interesting that he can get his own series that shows how he became who he was, who is a lesser player in the Breaking Bad world. I mean, your main two are, of course, Walt and Jesse. Um, I think that's one of the uh, attractions I have to the show, Josh, is the um, I love the Walter-Jesse relationship. Right. It is inexhaustibly good in trying to mm. – uh, find, uh, oh, what about this theme? What about this connection? What about the way they relate here? I mean, one of the obvious things is they uh, they almost pass each other in their development. Walter White starts as the respectable, yet underachieving family man. He's got a 15-year-old kid with cerebral palsy. He's got a baby on the way uh, when he's almost 50 that they obviously were not quite prepared for. Um I think if I remember rightly, he makes $43,700 a year mm. uh, and is trying to raise his family and having a very, very hard time of it. Um, but he's trying. He's working at a car wash for for extra income. One of his jerky students uh, in the first episode, right, uh, uh, shows up at the car wash and he has to have, go through the humiliation of washing this rich kid's car. Um, and then you meet Jesse – uh, who's the uh, former student he had who was a cut-up who was making crystal meth, and uh, he's a bad dude. He is uh, a total me, myself, and I guy. He's estranged from his family. He's a pleasure-seeking hedonist um, who cares only about himself. You watch those five seasons unfold, and I think they pass each other and virtually switch places. Mm. Uh, that's that's my take yeah. on it. You know, and I, I think... Just their their relationship alone is so good that I I could watch episodes that are totally just about them, which some of them are. Some of them, when you said Josh, were primarily about their relationship. Yeah. But there is so much intricate stuff around them that it's just so enjoyable to watch. Well, when people talk about Breaking Bad, writing and the characters are yeah. always brought up right away. That yeah. the writing is so good and. When I first heard that, I was like, "Wow, do they like do they know better words than than <laughs> yeah. everybody else? Like, yeah. what is it about the writing that makes yeah. it so good?" But I started studying Vince Gilligan and all the writers of the show, Tom yep. Schnauz, I think, or uh, Wow, you Peter would know Gold, that stuff. And I wow. think one Sam Sifton, maybe. Okay, um, these guys that are incredible who get together on this round table, probably no bigger than this room we're in yep. now, and they talk about the characters. They talk about what would this person really do in their circumstance. And I think that's what makes the show so good. And uh, the character of Jesse wasn't supposed to continue too much farther than season one. Yeah. They wrote the character because he was just this, you know, meth head who, you know, was trying to make a couple extra bucks and they were, they were going to kill him off. Yeah. But something about Aaron Paul's performance and the dynamic of Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston on the screen caused Vince and the writing team to say, you know what? 
we need to continue pouring into this. And I think that's what's, again, why Breaking Bad is incredible. It's not just the writing. It's the fact that it's perfect fusion of writing and great acting. Yeah. And that the character's chemistry on the screen honors the writing in the best way it possibly could. Uh, So you see Walt and Jesse, but they're perfect because they were perfect on the screen. They earned their right to continue that relationship all the way until the last episode of the season and, um, or of the series. And that's, what's so amazing is that these characters, they have depth. They're real. They have ups and downs. They are not flat or static. They are super dynamic to the point where, you know, you kind of expect what they're going to do, but you never know what they're going to do. And anything could happen for that particular character. And we're drawn in because we feel like we know them. We feel like, you know, they could be somebody in our lives yes. or somebody that um, they, they don't feel like they live in a separate universe. They feel like they live in the same universe we do. I, I agree. That's part of the writing. That's part of the, the geniusness of Vince Gilligan and the writing team. Yeah. And um, all that stuff is, I think, it's contributing to this show that, that makes it viral. You want to watch it again because you're invested into Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I think um, part of that, Josh, what is so gripping – is um, just in terms of the writing, because I've had the, the same question. Well, what is it about the writing that's so good? Yeah, I'm not saying it's it's a different vocabulary. Right. It's it, and sometimes uh, it's Hemingway like. Some of the scenes are very short. Right. Um, the language is crisp, and and you're in and out uh, of the scene, and you almost want more um, exposition. But he doesn't give it to you. But some clever things that he does. I'll make this a semi spoiler. In season two, Nathan, they, they kind of hook you. Four of the episodes all start uh, with this bizarre, weirdly filmed scene of a what looks like a burnt pink teddy bear missing one eyeball that is, uh, pardon me, bobbing up and down in, in a pool. And uh, a, th- that's done in four episodes throughout season two. Yeah. And it's in the first episode, in the last episode, and two somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, That never ties into anything in that given episode. Uh, you see it, and then you kind of forget about it. And then they bring it up, what is a stupid bear? Right. E- the um, name of each of those episodes, the title, um, pretty much tells you the story. So there's four episodes, and they all say one message which is the final scene of season two. Um, I, that might be too cryptic. I mean, you think I should say what it is, Josh, or yeah, just, just leave it, it there? It. Yeah, I mean, it's um, basically the first episode is called 737. Mm-hmm. And that's when Walt figures out, he does all of his calculations. Uh, remember, after Tuco beats that guy to death, mm-hmm. and he is terrified in his car. He's like, okay. He realizes, I got to get out of this. I am in way too deep with nefarious characters. And here's this, at this point, Still trying to maintain his original purpose. I've got to, I'm going to die. I've got a wife and two children that are going to have great financial needs. So he basically, oh, mortgage, okay, food, okay, paying off the house, colleges, savings accounts, retirement. And he, he, he's adding all these things. And he very quickly comes up with $737,000. Seven, 737. Once he gets that, I'm out. So he says. Right. Um, that's that episode. The next two, I don't remember with as much detail, but the one is called uh, Down. Mm-hmm. The third episode is called Over. And the last episode is called ABQ, which is the three-letter abbreviation for Albuquerque. 
and is also the airport abbreviation. So you have 737 down over ABQ, down over Albuquerque. That's basically the climactic scene at the end of season two, which ties it. That's just really cool. Um, that is an Easter egg type thing that is above and beyond. Oh, I put a little reference uh, to uh, another cultural phenomena in the background of a scene. He ties it into the story. And uh, when you go back and you look at Breaking Bad as a finished product, it's just the sky's the limit. Yeah. Um, and the other thing Josh said that I think we may or may not have talked about, my father has an interesting observation. The reason Breaking Bad stands above and beyond anything he's ever seen, uh, even like The Sopranos or something, is The Sopranos is often listed as a second closer runner-up. Some people say The Wire. What Breaking Bad has that stands out compared to those is those are all uh, genres that have been done before. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, maybe The Sopranos did it better than anybody yeah. f- from a TV standpoint. Maybe The Wire did it better than Homicide or Hill Street Blues as a police drama. But the the genres existed. Breaking Bad is almost its own story. Uh, well, is it like a police drama? Is it a is it a mafia thing? Is it a political thing like House of Cards? No, it, it's um, and you have to almost tell the story yeah. to give it its own genre. Yeah. So that's incredible in terms of originality. Um, was it, I think, T.S. Eliot that wrote the essay Art and the Original Talent or something that, that basically said there is nothing original because everything that an artist does today has the, – the mediums are all out there. But if you can arrange them in a way that's never been done before, mm-hmm. that's original. So, I mean, to me, Vince Gilligan took it to the ultimate limit for me. I I can't think of a show quite like Breaking Bad. So I guess in this remaining segment, and uh, boy, I feel like we've been talking, Josh, for five minutes, not 50. Um, I think the most interesting thing to me about the entire show is its effect on the viewer. And I talk to people about this all the time. I actually had people watch me. Hey, hey, Dutch, are you you like rooting for Walter? Should, are, are, are we supposed to be rooting for him? Um, you know, in, in a superhero movie, you know who to root for. You know, you root for the good guy. In a lot of standard dramas, you know who to root for. Walter White is, I don't even know if he's an anti-hero. He just might be his own kind of being. And I found myself often conflicted. I guess if I'm pressed, I was rooting for him not to uh, enslave people to crystal meth, but rooting for him for something. Um, how did you feel when you were watching it about Walter's yeah. goals? I mean, I unashamedly wanted Walt to just keep living and keep doing what he was doing. And, <laughs> you know, it was such a thrill to see him take charge and have this sense of, of power and this sense of accomplishment. He really wanted to build an empire. Yeah. And he did. And watching him go from nothing to the empire that he built. And also gain the respect from people, and also he gained this confidence. In a way, you're kind of proud of him yeah. that he could that he used to be this you know bland man, yeah. and now is this kingpin, yeah. and now has this you know this stature of of respect. Now, of course, it's respect in the drug community and by right. meth heads and by people who want to get high and yeah. by all the drug dealers who are also trying to get rich. Right. But there is this sense of accomplishment there and I think we're attracted to someone who is successful at what they do. Yeah. There's an excellence even with breaking even with with Walt that he is really good at what he does. Sure. 
And there's that last scene. That's uh, what he says. Yeah, last scene in, in uh, 516, season 5, uh, episode 16, because yeah. it's really two parts. There's That's right. eight episodes, mm-hmm. and then there's another eight. Um, but he, uh, he looks at, at Skylar and says, I did it for me. Yep. After she says, don't tell me one right. more time. You right. did it for the family. And he finally, that's the closest you get yeah. to anything that looks like repentance in the Breaking right. Bad universe. Right, Is not, I wouldn't say repentance. In Walt's case, it's admission. Right. This is who I am. I did it for me. What did he say? I was good at it. I was good at I it. I liked it. Yeah. It, I, and it made me feel alive. Yeah. Um, and you, you kind of always knew that, but you wondered, would you ever hear him say it? Right. And he says it, and it was wow. Yeah, because Skyler, I hated Skyler. Oh, she was for, most annoying for most of the show in the world. Yeah, she's she whines, she screams, she's just annoying. <laughs> and uh, they have other words for her yes. in the show. You'll have to watch to yes. hear those. Um, but I hated Skyler, and I didn't know why because Skyler is the only one who was rooting for some sort of moral goodness. Yeah, she knew it was wrong. She knew the killing was wrong, and she wanted it to end. And she encouraged Walt. To end it, but he didn't. Yes. Um, and there, there was a sense of just hating Skyler, like shut up. I know. And and let Walt do his thing. He's good at this, and I think that's why you're drawn to this anti-hero um, because he's really good at what he what he does. Yeah. He approaches it in a way where Gus Fring, you know, brings this business-like attitude to yeah. the drug industry. Walt brings an even heavier punch. I agree. He brings a sense of. Uh, uh, it's more than excellence. It's yeah. it's this power that he brings, where Gus kind of brought this fearfulness and he brought in a sense of organization and and business to yep. to drug dealing. Walt brings this power and this authority over all of it happening that Gus really couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, Gus was awesome. He was one of the best super villains of all time. Uh, I, Gus, one of the reasons I'm so drawn to the show, uh, the show Josh, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Gus, in my Little World is the greatest villain yeah. of anything I've ever watched or read. <laughs> I think he is too. Um, and that's it because, I mean, there's some good villains out there. Yeah. I mean, he there are some really, really good villains um, in the movie Inglorious Bastards, uh, <laughs> Hans Landa. I mentioned him without the movie title, so I can do it on, on the podcast, Nathan. Christopher Waltz's character mm. is a close second, is such a detestable villain that you know a writer has done a great job when you were rooting for his comeuppance yeah. at some point. And Gus Fring, it's not just that you're rooting for it. You, you wonder if it's possible. He's so powerful. He's so good. He's so strong. He's so smart. He's so good. But I, as I thought about Gus Fring, he sort of gives you the story of Walt's arc before it even concludes. Because do you remember the first time Saul says, I've got a friend of a friend of a, a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy, who knows a guy yeah. ends up being Gus Fring, um, who I don't think, Saw ever meets, right? I I don't think, but um, remember, Walt says, "What's what's he like?" It's almost the Aslan question, right? Mm-hmm. In reverse, what what is he like? And um, you remember what Saul said? He said, "I'm totally a lot like you," wow. which I think is yeah. incredible. He is because you actually see that Gus, in many ways, was the Walter White prior to Walter, so you know how it ends for Gus. And maybe Walter's smart enough, crafty enough to have all the success and have a different outcome, and he isn't. So 
I do think there is a wages of sin principle weaved into Breaking Bad, whether Gilligan intended it to or not. There's my quote-unquote redemptive, redemptive theme, value, yeah. is that there is a sense, some might call it karma, yeah. there is a sense that your sin will find you out. You cannot, once you get immersed, uh, rise above it. Right. On your own, no matter how great and crafty you are. Again, that's what it reminds me of, of a Shakespeare right. tragedy. So, anyway, this is fun, Josh. Enjoyable. Yeah, All right, guys. Great. We are winding down on time. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Josh, you guys just rock the Casbah. Albuquerque it. style. These go to 11. <laughs>